Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. because over six months ago when we were worship planning for Advent and Christmas and the weeks after, I discovered that Epiphany fell on a Sunday this year. And Epiphany is the liturgical time when we remember and celebrate the arrival of the Magi, the wise men, to worship and bring special gifts to Jesus. And because of that, because I knew that we were going to get to bask in Epiphany for an entire Sunday... I placed a moratorium on wise men over Advent and Christmas, which is not easy to do, to tell your worship teams and your worship staff that we are not going to sing about or utter the wise men for all of that time is not an easy obstacle to overcome. However, I believe today that it will be completely worth it when I tell you why. Epiphany, because it was something that was celebrated by the ancient church and the Catholic church back when almost the entire world of Christendom was Catholic, is a mass that is celebrated no matter what day it falls on in the higher church traditions. And so when Epiphany falls on a Sunday, it's extra special. But even if Epiphany wasn't on a Sunday, then there are many Christians around the world who would celebrate and have that moment of remembrance for the time when they arrived. And why is it a big deal? The wise men show up. I had one child who comes to the preschool and comes to 930, and he hammered me every single time he was in this room. Why are the wise men not up there? Where are the wise men coming? Where are the wise men? I was like, they're back there. They're coming from afar. They will come. And then today they came, and he was like, finally, (laughs) waiting all Christmas for this. Because there's anticipation. However, the truth is that the scriptures tell us that the wise men could not have arrived before now. They couldn't actually have shared a nativity. Some of those who are in our nativity would not have been here by the time they arrived. So if the shepherd and the angel would have already departed after Christmas, and then it would have taken time for the wise men to appear because when Jesus was born that night, a star appeared. A star appeared, and there are peoples all across the world who pay careful attention to the skies, especially the stars and where they are and the formation they're in and how they rise and fall in the view of the, of the night sky. And the Magi were some of these people, a priestly class, literate, able to read and write, paying careful attention to astronomy. And when they saw this star, they paused and said, something is weird here. Why is the star here? And the star doesn't do what stars do. It doesn't move in the night sky over time. So not only did the star have to appear, but then it had to stay in the same place long enough that the shifting of the other stars made it apparent that there was something special about this star. And being learned people... They noticed it, and they said, we've got to figure out what this is about. So they started to read and discover that this star was one of the portents, one of the signs that the Messiah would be born. And we who are of the tradition of Abraham, we in Christendom and our Jewish brothers and sisters, we were yearning for this. We are looking for this. We celebrate this and honor this. But we have to pause for a moment and remember that these wise men are not Jewish. 
These wise men are not of the people of Israel. They have come, and they are the first from outside the tradition to honor and glorify and fall down and worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The first Gentiles to show up and recognize the kingdom that Christ had inaugurated at his birth. And as they arrived, they came and they brought these incredible gifts. Now, we know that there were three gifts, and then over time we have assigned one gift per wise man. That's why there's generally three. But chances are there were more, that they would have caravaned and traveled with more than just the three of them. And they, when they arrived, imagine being poor Mary. You're in a house, according to the Scripture. She's now moved in somewhere in Bethlehem, thank goodness, because how would you like to live in a stable with a toddler? She's moved into a house, and she's there, and all of a sudden a knock comes, and completely uninvited, unexpected are these glamorous-looking, royal, rich persons. They are not kings, but they work for the kings, a priestly class of literati, and here they have arrived in their refinery, looking amazing, and she's probably got her hands busy and toddler Jesus running around. And he was a toddler. He wasn't sitting there with his hands crossed in his lap. I hope he was doing all kinds of crazy things that made her think he was having prophetic visions, like running around and screaming in his underwear. And so he arrives. Can you imagine how many of you have been that mom where like the doorbell rings and you're like, oh, please, God, no. And yet here they come. And not only do they come in, but they, they seem to be really enamored with Jesus. Okay. And look, we brought completely inappropriate gifts for your child. That never happens, does it? Completely inappropriate gifts. But they were theologically appropriate gifts. And as they entered into the house and they worshipped and adored, Mary must have watched with awe and wonder that once more God sent confirmation that she had been given this incredibly privileged position to not only bear the Messiah in the world, but to watch as the world slowly, one person by one person, turns towards him and recognizes that he is God incarnate, come to save his people. Well, there are nuances to the Epiphany story that we don't always pay attention to. An Epiphany is when you have a divine encounter, a divine revelation, where you see God. An Epiphany isn't that the wise men showed up as much as it is that they showed up to see God in Jesus. They arrived with these gifts because they knew they were coming to see the king. And if you pay attention to the careful wording, they didn't go to Jerusalem and say, where's the king of Israel? They were standing in front of the king of Israel. Herod was the king of the nation of Israel. Where is the king of the Jews, they asked. That's a terrifying question. And the text requires us to pay attention to that even Herod was frightened and all of Jerusalem with him. What do you mean, where's the Messiah? If the Messiah is here, then they're expecting that there will be warfare that he will come and he will cast out the Romans, that he will cast out the foreign oppressors, and that he will change everything. And anybody that knew Herod knew that Herod wasn't going to go easy. And so everyone felt turmoil at this news that should bring great joy. And they said, where is the king of the Jews? Because not every Jew is living in the promised land at this point. Already, foreign invasion after foreign invasion and tribulation and trial has cast out the Jews in diaspora. When Assyria came in and overran the northern kingdom of Israel, they had a practice of dispersing peoples in their territories. And so they uprooted the people of the north and moved them around. There were, not only were they shifted within the promised land, but some of them were outside the boundaries and unable to ever return. 
Then years later, Babylon would come and they would destroy the temple that Solomon built and they would take more and take them into exile in Babylon. And even though a great number did come home, many did not. And so there are Jews outside of the boundaries and Christ has come for them all. And the message of Epiphany is that there are people who are outside the walls of the church. There are people that are outside of the covenant of membership in the body of Christ. And Christ is theirs too. The message is that it is never too late. And by delaying Epiphany, by taking a moment and making such a big deal out of these apparent latecomers, it emphasizes not only to the children, but every child of God, that it is not too late. I think all of us who are part of the church for any amount of time, who recognize what a gift Jesus Christ is and how much we want to embrace and cling to the grace that we have by the cross and by the offering of Jesus Christ for us, we have this moment where we don't understand how someone can reject it. Why can't someone see just how precious God is and how much we want to be in a relationship with God? How could someone not want to be part of this? And it breaks our heart to know that anyone that is so precious to us, who claims a place in our own heart, could not be a part. And there is fear and there is concern and sometimes there is quite frankly frustration and maybe even anger for those who do not want to be a part of this right here and now. But the Magi remind us that those who are not part, who weren't born and raised in the church, who weren't part of the covenant at Mount Sinai, who weren't part of the lineage of Abraham, even they can show up when it is their time, when they are ready and willing and able, and God opens the doors to them and shows them Jesus Christ. What greater gift could there be than knowing that epiphany is the promise that all may come when they are ready? And our job is to, like Mary, receive them and show them where Jesus is. Come and see. When they knock at our door, do we open it up and say, where's your invitation? Or do we open the door and say, hey, we've been waiting for you. Come in. Epiphany at its deepest roots, is about evangelism, about letting people have unfettered access to Jesus Christ, letting them see for themselves that Christ came not just for those who are in the covenant, but for those for whom the covenant is still desperately needed. That every single human being will walk their own path to get here. There are many paths and some of us needed to be like the shepherds, out doing our thing because this is our duty. And then when the skies light up with a host of angels and sing, we wanted to be on the front lines. This is what we've been waiting for. Let's go right now. But then there are others who walk a different path, who need to know that the intellectual path or a path that includes meandering and, and going and trying different things may still bring them at home. And they need to know that just because they didn't arrive at the same time as others, that they are still welcome. This is holy hospitality when we recognize that not all the guests are going to show up at the same time. Now, most of you don't come to 930 worship, but if you come to 930 worship at 930, you're going to look around and go, 
She's been lying about the numbers in the bulletin. What's she doing? There's no way there's 125 people sitting here. And you would be right. But if you wait 15 minutes, guess what? And let me tell you what happens at 9.30. Right? So I stand here at 9.30. We're singing. We're having a good time. And then all of a sudden, it's over, and I stand up here, and I'm like, where did y'all come from? And they snuck in. Some of them didn't so quietly sneak in. But they come in. And for those of us who grew up in the tradition, you know what my mom would have said if you showed up at 940? You late. My mom would have been turning around like, you late. You late. Stop it. You show up early for Jesus. And I wish we could. I wish we could all show up early for Jesus. But the reality is that not everybody is the same. That's why we have two different worship services in two different liturgical languages. That's why there's contemporary and traditional. That's why there are other churches that have other aspects of what it is to be the body of Christ. That's why there is a path that God will lay out for every person that wants to walk in. If you want to find Jesus, then God will help you do that. And here's the part for those of us who are already in. God is turning to us and saying, you are part of the path. You are here. Now show someone how to get here. And it's not so much, let me give to you doctrine and theology and let me enthrall you with how much I know of church history. Instead, it is just as simple as what the wise men did when they left. We have seen God. You've got to come and see. You have to know. Both the wise men and the shepherds left and told their story. They told about their encounters. That's what God is asking us to do. Not to tell somebody why they need to be in church or not to tell somebody, if you don't do this, you're not going to be saved or, you know, I won't see you in the kingdom to come. It is not about that. Instead, evangelism is about simply saying, I have seen God. I have seen God and I know where you can find God. And I'm so changed by it, I need you to come and see. That's the fundamental core of evangelism. It does not require a seminary degree. In fact, some of the most capable and equipped and trained people make some of the crappiest evangelists you've ever met. Because evangelism is not something of the head, it's of the heart. It's about being willing to put yourself out there and testify that you have seen Christ. And the wise men traveled so far. They came from a nation far away, left their privilege and their power and their authority and their sphere of influence and went out to another place because it was worth the trip. It was worth the journey. And when they arrived, they found a child somewhere between the age of two and six months. And they knew just from looking at him that this was God Almighty. That is what it is to encounter the power of God. And how do we know that he was two or older? If I continue to read you the gospel account of Matthew, you would find out that while the wise men went back another way, Herod is not a fool. Herod figures out sooner or later, they ain't coming back. And Herod determines that he is going to do his duty now. He's going to protect himself. He has decided that he will get rid of this Messiah. And so he enacts one of the most incredibly heartbreaking agonizing, gut-wrenching atrocities of the Old Testament. 
He resurrects what Pharaoh does to the people of Israel while in bondage in Egypt. He sends forth his people to Bethlehem and he kills every child to and under. And we don't preach that in the church very often. That's certainly not part of the nativity story we want to tell. But he covered his bases. He found out when that star rose and he knew that if he was going to get this child, that this child had to be somewhere between birth and two and he was going to rid it. But Herod was a fool. Because if you think that you can go to war against God, if you think that through violence and death and the causing of physical pain that you can prevent God from doing what God wants to do to bless and love people, then you are crazy. God will not be stopped. Christ came to us to bring us grace. And no king, no earthly power, no threat of violence or pain or suffering or trial or tribulation was going to stop that from happening. And we remember that on Epiphany. That the high and the gloriousness of worshiping Christ cannot be smothered. And that is not just true for us. It's true for everyone. And in a moment when we have the opportunity to once more encounter Jesus Christ at the table where he has been hosting for almost 2,000 years, won't it be a glorious moment to know that no matter how out of the way, direct, or insane our journey here has felt, that we are not too late. That whenever we arrive, Christ waits with open arms to embrace us and forgive us and love us into perfection. Thanks be to God for this incredible and eternal truth. May we continue not only the gospel, but to give glory to God. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.